0: It is good to be in the house of the Lord. And I'd like to welcome once again everyone who's come to worship the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in a brief word of prayer, asking that he help me preach and that he help you hear. Let's go to the Lord. Our Holy Father, it is because you are so good and so holy and the Almighty, we've come to worship you. And we come wearing the righteousness of Christ. For we cannot approach you without the imputed righteousness of our Lord. And therefore we come boldly because he is worthy. But Father, we also come humbly because we are repented sinners. And we pray, Lord, that your word might be made clear. Let your people hear. We pray, Lord, that the truth be buried within our hearts. That we might cherish it. That we might hold it true, that we might love it and that it might blossom, that we might sing and, and that we might proclaim the name of our God. May we own him openly as you have owned us. So, Father, we pray that the Word have its free reign. May your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we ask you, may you work upon your people. May these things be done to elevate and uplift our Lord Jesus Christ. May sinners be saved for the glory of God. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our study in the book of the Apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, chapter 15 is where we're picking up today. There are only eight verses in this particular chapter. And so um, I will be covering the first four verses of this chapter today. Now I may or may not take the rest of the chapter and chapter sixteen in the next message. It all depends on what unfolds in the in the hours of study uh, to, in the future. So we'll see what happens with that. But I want to remi- I want to remind you that going through this book, we're going to see many repetitious things. We're going to hear themes and things that have been emphasized over and over again. And so you may say to yourself, "I." thought I heard this last week. You'll probably hear it this week and next week too. One of the principles of learning is repetition. And if the Lord repeats it, then He wants you to really get it. And so with that, let's go over the doctrine that we'll be looking at today. The doctrine is simple. God is holy and will deal with a sinful world with true justice. Now, that seems to be pretty easy, that seems to be clear. But sometimes, the words, we see them so often that we fail to grasp them in all their depth. And we need to understand that, you know, God is truly holy. If I was to say to you, our God is, and has done great and, and amazing things, you may say, well, that is true. But you see, the words great and amazing, they've they've kind of overused. You know, you you, you go into Walmart and you look at, you know, a, a box of tissues and it says, great and amazing changes. Really. You look at soft drinks. This is great and amazing. You see, we have learned to not really understand what these words mean. Because they've been used by salesmen. They've been used by anyone that wants to get your attention. And so when the Apostle John tells you that there is a vision that is great and amazing, we need to take off all the deadening of the world. We need to receive these words the way they ought to be received because God is going to oppose defiant sinners with omnipotent justice. That's our doctrine today. And when we see God doing this, he is righteous. Mm. See, the world has changed our view of judgment. Mm. The world seems to think, there is a God who's a little bit touchy over things. He's kind of overreacting with the human race. And he is going to throw sinners in hell forever. And for what? Just this and this. The blindness of the human heart is appalling. Mm. The effects of death and sin is amazingly, it, it causes us to not really see the truth. And so when this vision is emphasizing the fact that God is coming in righteousness, we need to say to ourselves, his deeds are truly righteous. His deeds are truly good. Now, I would like to give you a review. Now, sometimes I give a review, sometimes I don't. Now, today's review is just to make sure that we're just about to begin a brand new vision, and so I want to make sure that we're having a big bird's eye view of what's happening. The apocalypse is the book of visions, and that means an apocalyptic vision must be interpreted. This is not something that was brand new. It's kind of new to our generation, but it used to be that people would have a vision such as Joseph, and he would tell his brothers and his parents, and they would say, "Uh, wait a minute, are you telling me that we are going to bow down to you just because you have a dream about wheat stalks bowing down? You see, they interpreted it. It was not strange to them. When Pharaoh had a dream about lean cattle coming out of the Nile, he didn't say, well, I guess we're okay until I see cattle coming out of the Nile. No. He said, what does this mean? And when we have an apocalyptic vision, we must understand that it is to be interpreted. Which means there is literal truth to be garnered from an interpretation of a vision. And therefore, we humbly approach God and we cautiously say, this is what I believe this vision means. Now, there are going to be times in which Simple, biblical truth can be can be garnered from this. And I'll say, thus says the Lord. But until that happens, and many times I do, I must also say, it is in all probability that this is what this means. Mm-hmm. Now, don't think that I'm some kind of, you know, wishy-washy guy that just, I don't want to find out what it is. I do not, I want to be true to the Word of God. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm a prophet, that I have heard, you know received things from God that I haven't. This is the Word of God, and it is true. And so I will try to expound it as best as possibly I can. There seems to be, in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, seven distinct visions. Seven visions. And these visions seem to be providing to us everything that happened from the first advent to the second advent. Now, sometimes these visions concentrate and have an emphasis And a theme that seems to go evenly throughout that time. And that time seems to have been displayed by this. By time, times, and a half time. Okay? That seems to be the time in which this period is described. And many times we'll see that evenly distributed, such as Christ walking among his churches, the very first vision, is from a perspective of the church on the earth. And that it has a theme of Christ walking among his people. And it has the emphasis that God is with us throughout thick and thin. But he's here to also warn us and to uh, admonish us and to encourage us. That is the very first vision. And it seemed to be evenly distributed throughout the time. However, in the second vision, we have chapters 4 through 7, was the vision where we saw God's throne and the seven seals. Now, that is the perspective where we have the church, not on the earth, but the church in heaven, where God is on His throne, and everything surrounds God, and that we see Christ being declared to be the worthy one to take a scroll from His hand, the one who sat on the throne, and that He was authenticated by the fact that He was authorized. In other words, who is worthy? All the things that happened when that seal was broken, depended upon the one who was able to justify the sinner. Mm. That God would justify sinners and was the one who was slain from the foundations of the world. He was the only one that could break it. He was the only one that can introduce these things because He is authorized to do it and He is authenticated by the fact that He opened it.
1: Mm.
0: Therefore, He has the authority. All the things that happen to this world, all the judgments that come, everything that happens, he is authorized, he is righteous, and he is the one, the only one that can do this. And so we can see that this second vision really had all the emphasis at the beginning of that period of time. But we see that he is opening these seals for all of that time. But it emphasized the fact that he died on the cross to save sinners. And that way he could use sin to get his means done. Now, I know some people will hear me say that and they'll say, this does not sound right. How can God use sin to get his will done? It works like this Did not Joseph say to his brothers, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, mm. to save many people alive? Mm. And you may say, well, no, surely God doesn't use sin. Well, you show me one thing in this world that isn't sin. If God does not use sin, he doesn't use anything. Because the only thing that we bring to the table is our sin that required his death. And God, in his sovereignty, uses that. Because he overrides that. Because everything that the devil plans to do to defeat the church of God and people of God... God turns around by His Almighty Sovereign control and power. And He means it for good. All the evil that's designed against us, God means it for good. In the third vision, we saw in chapters 12 through 14, the aspects of the devil's warfare against our salvation. This is where we saw Satan depicted as a dragon. This is where we saw the beast rising up out of the sea, and this beast rising up from the earth, and we saw Babylon, and we saw those who had the mark and image of the beast. These are Satan's helpers. These are the ones that we would say, Satan has a plan, and he has partners and helpers, and these are the ones that are helping Satan by Satan's design. We have the Antichrist. That is the beast that came up out of the sea. And shall we say the sea of humanity that's always in turmoil. And they are the anti-Christian governments or the authorities of all people that that we would read in Romans chapter 13. Obey those who have the rule over you. Because these things are ordained of God. But when they require that you deny your Christ, then you must say within your hearts. We would rather obey God than man. And there are and will be Christian, anti-Christian governments. And then the, the false prophet, the beast that rose up from the earth. They're the ones that will produce false religions, false ideologies, false ways of living. You'll find them in our universities. You'll find them in the colleges. You'll find them in their grade schools. You'll find them throughout all the philosophers of the world. And they give credence and lend their teachings to supporting the governments and so the false prophets support the anti-christian governments. And then we have the society that these two create, Babylon. The society, or the world order, the world, where people actually say, I want to live the best life possible. And it means that it must turn your back on God and just get what you can out of this life. I've heard professors in their classrooms try to teach me that it was their goal to make sure that, that Christianity, and he called it this, the monkey on the back of humanity, be destroyed. That was his goal. Now not everyone is that flagrant. Not everyone is that so self-aware of their goal. They're not all that self-aware. But I'll tell you what, you look at it and you'll see that anti-Christ society is Babylon and then there's the population itself those individuals who said this is the life for me I identify with that I want to be like that and the image that's produced in their minds have gone right to their hearts they live to support that worldview and then their hearts are stamped with that image just like God's people are stamped by the Spirit of the Holy Spirit with the image of Christ upon us. There's a, there's an image upon God's people. There's an image upon the deep people that follow the dragon. So, those are the first four visions that we have. Today, we're looking at the fifth vision. The chapters 15 and 16. And they concern seven bowls of judgment. Now, the, the perspective that we're looking at this is going to be from God's anger against the willful defiant of the world. There are people, and you're described in this previous... Um, Uh, in the vision concerning the seals and the trumpets, that no matter what they experienced, they refused to repent. Now we're at the point where God is actually addressing those people, the willful defiant. And it's going to be described, or shall we say, introduced with the idea that this is justice. This is righteousness coming in the form of judgment. Now, I'm going to give you the last two visions just to complete the seven visions. Chapters 17 through 19 displays a victory for the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at that vision, we'll see that the great seductress, that is Babylon, the harlot, is going to be vanquished and Christ will be married to his bride. Now, that covers the time from His advent, first advent to the second advent, but you'll see that most of the actions is centered around the end time. It covers from beginning to the end, but there's an emphasis that takes us toward that end. And the last vision, chapters 20 and 22, will see the introduction or the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. But you'll also see that it begins at the first advent and ends with the second. And the emphasis is based upon God coming in and making all things new. So, with each of these transitions, every time we go to a new vision, we see that there is a perspective involved. There is an emphasis involved. There is a theme involved. And so today, we're looking at the theme of judgment. The emphasis is that God is righteous, and it's going to be upon those who are defiantly, willfully defiant against God. So, Sometimes I provide an introduction, sometimes I don't, but today I do. This particular chapter can be, it's very brief, there's only eight verses in the entire chapter, but it can be divided into two sections. Now, if we take this chapter with the next chapter, which is the entire vision, 15 and 16, I would say that verses 1 through 4, I'm going to call it a prologue. Okay, that's what most of the commentators call it, so I'll go along with them, because it seemed like a good idea. Now, this prologue introduces the idea of the judgment that's going to come in the form of pouring out bowls of judgment. Now, these judgments are number in, er, are seven in number, and they do reflect very closely to the trumpets. And so, this first section is a prologue. The next section is going to be the trumpets, I mean, the bowls themselves. And so, from verses 5 through 8, is really kind of an introduction to the pouring of the bowls. Chapter 16 itself is are the bowls themselves, what is stated, what each bowl is going to do. So today, let's just take a look at the preamble, or shall we say, the prologue. Now, in my, uh, in my experience, in my business, uh, where I would deal with upper management, what I would deal with other uh, organizations in the Air Force and so on, usually large documents that require act or action comes with, you know, multiple pages, and the, the man in charge doesn't want to read all of it. And so they provide at the very beginning what's called an executive summary. That means that if the person reads that one paragraph, they'll have a pretty good idea what's in the entire document. Verse 1 is the executive summary of the vision of both chapters 15 and 16. Let me just read that to you. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last... For with them, the wrath of God is finished. You have the executive summary of the entire vision in chapters 15 and 16. And so with that in mind, we'll spend all of our time looking at that. But we'll see that the next three verses introduce the idea that there are people who are not going to be judged. They're standing beside a sea of glass, and they're singing. They're singing. And the rest is judgment upon the willfully defiant against God. And so, with that in mind, let's go to verse number 1, and we'll try to get through this. The vision says, great and amazing. And we have seen that this is something that is truly great. It's not great as in an advertisement, like I said before. It is truly a broad scope, all-encompassing. The purpose is truly enormous. And it is amazing, a word that really means astonishing, shocking, startling, mesmerizing. And so this is the beginning of the vision itself. These, he says, so I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. And what was that? Seven angels with seven plagues. Now, the phrases that follow that, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished, I'm not going to address that right now. That'll be in my practical application if I get to it today, okay? It'll be in the practical application because these are important phrases. But the idea of seven plagues. Now, we're going to read about bowls and we're going to read, and some of your translations will read vials. But just get this idea in mind. God has wrath and He's put it into something that He's going to pour out on people. It can be described as a bowl, a golden bowl. It can be described as a vial, or a flask, or something that holds it, that you pour. Now when you think of this, I want you to consider this. This is not some bottomless bowl. It's not like Harry Potter when he pour something and it just keeps on coming out, coming out, coming out. When I think of God saying, I have a bowl of wrath and it is the last and finished. I'm going to give you a little bit of my practical application. It means that He knows how much. He knows exactly what this world needs. It's not coming any sooner. It's not coming any later. Coming on time. It's not going to be not enough. It's not going to be too much. It's going to be just right. It's going to be exactly what this world needs. And so when he pours it out, he says, this is what they deserve. It is just. It is righteous. It is what I have determined to be the perfect amount to get the job done and to do it properly. And so these bowls are poured out on purpose. Now with that, I want to compare these bowls of judgment to a previous vision that contained seven trumpets. Now, obviously, the word, I mean, the number seven has been used repeatedly, and it seems to be a number that implies that there is a completeness to it. The seven spirits standing before the throne of God. The seven spirits going out into all the world. Number seven seems to be that number that we should say, well, there's only seven trumpets. No, there's enough trumpets to warn, and to say what needs to be said. There is enough of of, of wrath coming out of God's throne to do the job and to get it done. And God says there are seven. And so that's my interpretation. I want to compare the fact that when we have seven seals that are broken, they're really emphasizing the fact that all that is done, whether it be a warning or whether it be an actual judgment, God has the authority to do that. He has been authenticated. And that is only done by the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can do this. So those seven seals take us into the warnings of the seven trumpets. Now, when we talked about those seven trumpets, it actually showed us that there would be wrath poured out upon people. But when we saw that, we noticed that only uh, during the, the seals being broken, it mentioned the idea that, a fourth of the world were, were impacted. But when the, when, when, when the trumpets came out, it told us that a third of the world would be impacted. Now, when we start looking at the bowls being poured out, we're going to see that the entire world is impacted. Now, this isn't some type of conflict. It isn't some kind of contradiction. What it has to do with, from the perspective and from the emphasis that's being said and being done, sometimes it's being done by... Uh, from, from the throne of God, by the church in heaven, by the church on the earth. But on this vision, we see God addressing who? The ones who had defiantly opposed Him. And every single soul will be the recipient of those particular judgments. Now, I'd like to make a comparison between the trumpets and the bowls. During the vision with the trumpets, chapter 8, verse 7, that trumpet concerned the earth. Now, when it comes to the bowls, in chapter 16, verse 2, that bowl of wrath concerned the earth. In chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, the trumpets there concerned the sea. And in chapter 16, verse 3, the bowl concerns the sea. In chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, the trumpets concerned the rivers and the springs. In chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, the bowls concern the rivers and the springs. I hope you're seeing some kind of pattern here, right? Mm -hmm. You see that there is a repeat. It is the same cycle. In chapter 8, verses 12, the trumpets address the the sun and the moon and the stars. In the bowls, in chapter 16, verse 8, it concerns the sun. In chapter 9, verses 1, we see that the trumpets address the pit of the abyss. But in chapter 16, verse 10, we see that it is addressing the throne of the beast. In chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, of the trumpets, it addresses things going on with the rivers Euphrates. In chapter 16, and verse 12, again, it reflects the, the bowls of judgment coming against the river Euphrates. And lastly, in chapter 11, verses 15 and 19, there is the trumpets giving and providing lightning and hail as a warning. But in the bowls we see in chapter 16 and 17 and 21, lightning is being uh, displayed throughout the whole earth, and the hailstones, a hundred pound each, are being hurled against the inhabitants of the earth. So we can see that this is truly a reflection of the first. One is more of a warning but holding judgment. The other can be used as a warning if you would take heed to it. But it is a direct display of judgment being fully and explicitly to its full requirement given to the world that rejects God. And so, let's go to the next verse. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. Now, we see here a sea of glass. Now, if you have, I know that, you know, sometimes I can forget a lot of things, but hopefully you remember that we've already seen the sea of glass in the second vision. Remember how God's throne was displayed and everything was around God's throne. And in front of God's throne, and believe me, there's all around God's throne, there was a sea of glass. A sea of glass. Here we also see a sea of glass. I believe that this is the same sea. I believe that we're looking at the same sea of glass. When I think of a sea of glass, it's not as though, well, I wonder if it's tempered glass. No, no, no. I don't really think it's glass. I believe that it's a sea as smooth as glass. I believe that it is a sea that is calm and tranquil and full of peace. This is the type of description of God's people have before his throne. Even now, we don't have to be in heaven with the church in heaven. We can be in the church on the earth and Christ walking among us. He can calm the sea. He can take a tumultuous storm of life and still have his people live in tranquility and peace. This calm sea does not even have a ripple on it. It is completely peaceful. There's one thing that I want you to contrast with that. There is no beast rising up out of the sea. There is no tumultuous storm. They are not like the wicked that are stirred up with a mire from the bottom. It's not like that. I remember as a boy walking through streams up in Ohio, and those streams are clean. You could actually go down on the bank and drink out of those streams. But if your buddy happens to trample through it, it gets all muddy. Well, then you can't drink that, can you? The world in its sea of humanity is always trampled. It's always tumultuous. It's always muddy. There's always something going on. There's always a storm. But even within the storm, we have the tranquility of the peace of Christ. We have peace with God. Mm-hmm. All the things that are going around, uh, you know, around us, there's nothing like the peace of God. Nothing that can calm the heart. Nothing that can keep us just so smooth. Nothing like being on a boat in a, in a lake that's just peaceful. Sometimes you don't even want to throw your your line out to fish. It's just like, well, I'll just ruin it. No, you just want to look at it. You just want to experience it. But the the wicked are not like that. There's always going to be a storm there. It says here that there appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, that's something new. Now, in the apocalypse, fire seems to be a favorite symbol that represents judgment. Now, this entire vision is centered around God pouring judgment upon the earth. But here we have a sea of glass, but it is mingled with fire, but there's no ripple there. God judges His people, but He doesn't judge them in order to destroy them. You see, you may say, well, God doesn't judge anyone to destroy them. No, 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 you need to listen to the Scriptures. There is utter destruction for those who defiantly oppose God, and that's a warning, that's a trumpet. That needs to be listened to, because the wicked will one day be destroyed. And these judgments will cause that and bring it to pass. But we, by the hand of God, the same sun that melts the butter, hardens the clay. And even though we experience what the world experiences, it brings us closer to God and it drives them farther away. It is fire mixed with a calm sea. We can praise God for his mighty power to use evil to bring good about. We also see standing by the sea, or even shall we say, standing on the sea. Or I would even dare to say the sea itself. We see saints there, gathering who have victory over the beast. We have the ones that are victory over the image of the beast, over the number of his name. These are the ones that have been able to live in a world where all the governments were against them. And yet they were not rebellious. They were not the, uh, the ones that want to tear down the government. We would live in peace if we possibly could. But we would rather obey God than man. And we overcame that. The image of the beast. The idea of what the perfect life is, life is like. If we should ever listen to the beast and the false prophet. You would then see that life. And then adopt it. When you adopt it, you have put the image within yourself. But people of God have overcome that. The ones that make up the sea of tranquility have overcome the beast, his image, and the number of his name. All those things. Now with that, there's one last thing I want to make note. Is that they all have harps. Harps. There's music going on in this particular vision. And uh, I, I, I know many people, they say, well, maybe we can learn from this. Maybe, you know, because we are regulated by the scriptures and how we worship, are we not? We are. We are regulated by the scripture now we worship and um, we have a piano, but I know good Christians that say the only instrument to worship God in music should be the human voice. Well, I'm not going to argue with them, but I don't have that type of conviction. That's, That's a good answer. We even have a cello. I would have more instruments if we had anyone who could play them. But you see, this particular instrument is a harp. I have never seen a church with a harp, not unless they're really got a lot of money and they had someone that could play it. And I'm not even too sure what kind of instrument this is by the way. But it is a harp. But it is an interesting description. It says that those who had conquered the beast in his image standing on a sea with harps of God in their hands. Now, these are not the harps of men. These are not the musical instruments of this world. They are the musical instruments of God for music in heaven. There are harps that are not available to those in this world, but they only come from God. These harps in all probability are able to make music that is very pleasing to God. Now, I'm out of time. I really have. I really have. Like I'm only halfway through, but I'm going to keep you just a little bit longer if I can, because it is important to me that you understand that this vision and this image of God's people singing, singing is so important. There is. A, we 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 sang a hymn in our worship that talked about the face of God, or seeing him face to face. I happen to think that when God created man in his image. There is a uniqueness about us Mm -hmm. that you can look in a person's face and you can see by their face what's in their heart. And you say, well that's kind of a big pill to swallow. No. Anyone ever Everyone? did you have to teach your babies to smile? Did you have to teach them to scrunch up their face and cry and, and have tears? No. The face is a unique creation of God that expresses what's in their heart. Mm. And when we see God face to face, the use of the language says, you'll see Him heart to heart. Mm. You'll see them with His heart, fully exposed to your heart. And there will be that, the intimacy of being in the presence of God. Mm. And then when you have a heart that sings, a heart that sings, there is no, music is something so unique Mm. to, to this world. Now, I'm going to tell you a small story. It won't take long. This has been my, my, my birthday week, and I get anything I want to eat all week, okay? And so I was within this place with my son Isaac. I didn't tell him anything about it. I just took it in with myself. There was someone in front of us, and he was waiting in line like we were. Now, he was dancing. He was like this, you know? And then all of a sudden he goes... And so I could tell... That he was dancing, but he had no earphones, that I could tell. Nothing in his ears, nothing like that. It was the music that was playing in this restaurant, or in the, you know, the take place. And when I noticed him, the choreography matched the words to the music. Now, the first thing that popped in my head was, perhaps this guy is a little simple. But then I refrained from that. It's not really nice to think that. <laughs> and so I thought to myself, no, this man just had enough love For the music he was listening to that he didn't care what he looked like. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not suggesting we should get into choreography here. All I am suggesting Mm -hmm. is that there is something beautiful about music that Mm -hmm. expresses the heart. Mm -hmm. And when God's people stand before the throne and they have this sea of tranquility, the peace of God in their hearts, Mm -hmm. and then they sing a song with music that's Provided by God himself within our hearts and hands. And we sing the song of Moses. We sing the song of the Lamb of God. We sing the song that only can be learned by the redeemed. It is a a, a praise that cannot be duplicated by any other place. You see, all this is going to be contrasted against the judgments that are coming upon the willfully defiant. Mm -hmm. See, this is the backdrop Mm -hmm. that the judgments are coming against. Mm -hmm. The backdrop of the peacefulness of God's people, singing praises to God from their hearts, face to face, Mm -hmm. in the presence of the the Holy Spirit among us, Mm -hmm. Christ walking among us, worshiping the Lord Jesus because He died for our sins and provided the righteousness that helps us to stand at peace before God. Mm -hmm. And yet... The world will refuse to listen. They will refuse to listen. There'll be trumpets. There'll be warnings. There'll be the truth preached from the Gospel, from the pulpits. There'll be pamphlets. There'll be books. There'll be all types of things. The world will be warned. And yet, they, they will refuse to listen. But I'm telling you right now, the Gospel, the means of grace, is going to find God's people we don't know who they are, but there is a multitude that cannot be numbered. They are among those. They are among those that refuse to believe and repent right now. Right now. So let us preach to them. Let us preach to the ones that will never hear, that will always say, no, that's a fairy tale. Preach to them anyhow. Show them the gospel. Love them. They're not afraid of being who they are in the world. They'll dance in front of everyone. But we should have the gospel of Christ in our heart that we are not afraid either. Own your God in the world mm-hmm. because He owns you. Mm-hmm. Be a Christian out there. Do not be duplicitous. You know, do not be a duplicitous. Mm-hmm. Do not be that person that says, Well, I'll be, in, I'll be this person in church and this person at work. Mm-hmm. Don't be that. Mm-hmm. Be God's people. Mm-hmm. Love Him face to face sing from your hearts, Mm -hmm. understand Mm -hmm. and embrace the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It is a wonderful thing to be the people of God. Mm -hmm. Let us now embrace the Gospel of Christ. Mm -hmm. Let us now go into the world and let them know Mm there is a God coming in justice. You see, you thought I was going to say a God coming in judgment. He is but it's coming in justice. God is right in doing this. God is good. God is right. Now, I'm gonna take up where I left off next week so I don't miss anything, but there's one thing I want you to notice before. I I, I just don't want to skip this. One of the great points that must be made is that God is right in doing this. He is just. Do not think that God is being too harsh on this world. Mm. The Song of Moses, I end with this. The Song of Moses is about 43 verses long in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. And it has a phrase in it, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Mm. And then it says, their foot shall slide in due time. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that is the text that Jonathan Edwards used in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Today, the kind of gospel that I hear on the radios and on TV is that we have God in the hands of angry sinners. We have God who is just too harsh. No. He's not harsh. He's just. What He is doing is right. What we have is a Christ that is able and, 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 and willing to save from the wrath to come. Mm-hmm. Oh, our Lord is so gracious. Mm-hmm. So gracious. If you're listening to my voice on the internet, and I know they're out there, I've seen the numbers. I know there are people listening. If you are here, You need to embrace Christ with all your heart. You need to learn the doctrines of the scriptures Mm -hmm. because it will cause your heart to sing. Mm -hmm. The seed of the gospel, watered by the tears of repentance, Mm -hmm. will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that is what we want in our church here. Mm -hmm. It's what we want in our church here. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, Thank you for sending your Son. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have quickened the hearts of your people. And that the gospel, the means of grace, has been spread throughout all the world. Oh, may may eyes be opened and may ears be opened. Mm -hmm. May people embrace our Lord Jesus Christ. May sinners be saved by the mighty deeds of God, by the mighty work of our Christ. May Christ be seen. His mighty work, He is mighty to save. There is none that can deliver from His hand, but there are none that can take us out of His. We pray, Lord, that these things might be done for Your glory and Your glory alone. Mm -hmm. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.